The opinions and views shared in this podcast are the opinions and views of the host and the host alone. They are not a reflection of his employer or any other organization that the host is a member of. The host does not speak for anyone, only himself. This is the I Am Pith Podcast. Get ready for contact. What's going on, everybody? This is your boy Dex with the I Am Pits Podcast, and we are back for another episode, episode 97. Getting up there, getting close to the episode 100. Glad to still be here doing my thing and providing y'all with that content that y'all like so much. That For all you that keep coming back and keep on listening, thank you. And once again, I appreciate you all for tuning in. But before I get into today's show, I need to go ahead and address something real quick because it's Tuesday, the June the 20th. I just got off of work, uh, working extra off duty here at uh, Kentucky Kingdom in Louisville, making that extra cash. And since I'm making extra cash, we're talking about money. I want to talk about money real quick. So I'm sure everybody's aware of this incident and situation that's going on with these super rich white folks stuck in a, wouldn't call it a submarine, I guess a submersible. So... <laughs> I guess everybody's on the on the hinges right now and concerned for these folks because these I think it was four or five rich people decided, hey, you know what? I want to see the Titanic live and in person. And they paid two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to this company that takes people down 13,000 feet down to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean floor to see the Titanic. And I know what you're thinking, bro, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to go see the damn Titanic, an old rusted out hull, a ship that 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 submerged over a hundred years ago. The allure of the Titanic for some odd reasons has always been there, but it's just so wild to see that people are willing to spend $250,000 of their money to go down and see it. And when you think about it and you listen to that and you hear it, you're like, yeah, that's stupid, that's crazy. Like me personally, if I was a millionaire had that much money, Going to see the Titanic would not be on my list. I'm good, bro. I've seen the movie numerous times. I know how it ends. It does not end well. But I keep seeing people posting, why would someone spend $250,000 to go down and see the Titanic? And I, I'm seeing this everywhere. And I am reminded of this quote that I've always heard from other people. Mind your wallet and mind your own pockets. Yes. And I absolutely agree with that. And the thing is, if you went up to one of these people that were going to spend $250,000 to see the Titanic, you're going to tell them, man, you stupid. Why would you do that? And they're going to tell you, because I'm rich, bitch, and I can. <laughs> That's what they're going to tell you. You know, poor rich people don't take advice from poor people. Yeah, I'm going to say that again. Rich people don't take advice from poor people. Even though we're sitting there looking at like, y'all stupid and how's this working out for you? You got to remember, man. Why would somebody spend two hundred fifty thousand dollars to go see the Titanic, even though the rest of us average folks thinks thinks it's stupid because we couldn't fathom paying someone two hundred and fifty thousand dollars because that is like three, four, five years of us of our salary of what we make in a year. And these people are just blowing it like it's nothing because they can because they're stinking rich. You got to look at what is called ratios, man. Dave Ramsey, I'm the big money guy, Dave Ramsey guy, and he talks about it all the time. You know, like, People, we can't judge people on what they do based off of, off of how we live our life. 
we can't concede what it is like to be them and be so rich. So I'm going to answer you all the question. Why would somebody spend two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to do something so stupid? Because, like I said, because they can. You got to imagine. Look at this. If you're born rich or if you have a ton of money, let's say you have like five hundred million dollars stashed in the bank. You have a million five hundred times over. That's a lot of money. And this is what I tell people when it comes to rich people. And and I mean, you can apply this to anything. And then, hey, but look at it like this. If you have five hundred million dollars and you can do anything and go everywhere, wherever you want, eat whatever you want, have the prettiest women, all this and that. At a certain point in time, don't you think that going to the beach and staying at these resorts over and over and over and over and over and over, eating the best meals over and over and over and over, at a certain point in time, it is going to get old and redundant. I mean, okay, I'm bored. I'm going to go to Hawaii this week. Okay, I'm bored. I'm going to go to Greece this week. Okay, then I'm going to go to Mexico. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. And then after a while, you got to think, man, the world is only so big. And I mean, man, how many times can you stay in the top of the line, you know, the presidential suite, at, you know, at the Bahamas, you know, resort until it's just, oh, just been here before. It's just another place in a different place. The same experience almost, man. Hey, we're going to go do this. You know, we're going to have this, you know, amazing steak. And dude, you got to think when you're that rich and you do whatever you want all the time, anytime, you're going to get bored. Because, like I said, I don't care how great it is when you're first starting out. It's awesome. You got all this money. Do whatever you want. But after a while, I don't care what it is. Everything gets old. Everything gets stale. You take the hottest woman in the world right now, whoever that might be in your mind. Some people say Beyonce. I mean, there's so many. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think who I think the hottest woman in the world is right now. I really couldn't put my finger on it. But imagine there's some guy out there that's laying next to this woman every day, waking up, and he just sees her like, ah. Okay, yeah, it's her. I can promise you that Jay-Z, when he wakes up in the morning, looks at Beyonce, and he doesn't think every morning, man, I'm so lucky to be here. He probably looks at her like, damn, man, you snoring again? I'm, ladies and gentlemen, the illusion of life being great every day because you're rich and you have everything you want and you think you have the hottest woman on your side, that, every, that is stuff is all an illusion. Everything gets old and everything gets stale. I don't care if you get your dream car after a while, you're going to love your car. You're going to appreciate it. But after a while, it'll be just a car. You'll just see it in the driveway and you will eventually take it for granted just because that is just the natural course of humans. And yes, you see something every day. It doesn't become special anymore. So you do something all the time. It doesn't become special anymore. You might like it and enjoy it, but you're not going to have that same amount of excitement when you do something repeatedly over and over, even if it is top of the line hotels and trips and all that stuff, that stuff, it fades, man. Everything fades. That's why I tell people money's great, but it's not everything, man. You just everything fades. That's why things have to be deeper than money. You know, I tell people it's the equivalent of people like me. I've been a cop for 13 years. When I hear people say, man, I love getting on, man. I love listening to police scanner, Dexter. Oh, I love the police scanner. I'm like, why would you love the police scanner? I know why they love it, because police work is intriguing because it's something different from their everyday life. And it's so intriguing and amazing. Yo, and they're just like, oh, my God, it's so exciting. Is it exciting to me? No, because I've been doing police work for 13 years. That's not to say I don't love my job and that I don't care about my job. 
Dude, but dude, I when I'm done, I'm done. I don't listen to my police radio when I'm off. I did when I first started my job in policing and when I was a rookie. Oh, I would have it on all the time. I couldn't get enough of being at work. But now, 13 years later, guess what? That's changed. And that's no longer what I do. And that's no longer what I want to hear. I don't care about what's going on at work when I'm not at work because I've been doing it for 13 years. But to somebody that's on the outside looking in, it's still super exciting. And they would say, how could you ever get tired of doing this job? I said that as a rookie officer, like, man, I would see these old disgruntled cops and be, they'd be like, I hate this job. I hate this place. And I'm like, man, this is the greatest job ever. Like, why would you feel like that? 13 years later, I understand because it gets old. And if it's, it's my dream job, I love policing. I love it. I don't want to do nothing else. But man, guess what? There's still sometimes it gets old. That is just the natural way. So that's why rich people go do dumb stuff. Because they can, because they can afford to. I mean, like I said, what are you going to do? I mean, how many times are you going to go visit the beach in Greece? How many times? My God, how many times are you going to go to Hawaii? You know, how many times are you going to go to this, you know, this gala event with all the, you know, fancy champagnes and all these fancy hors d'oeuvres? And how many times are you going to meet the same rich people over and over and over and over? And then one day, they're just, it's just everyday life. It gets boring. It gets stale. That is just the way it is, people. <laughs> so... Me trying to tell somebody that's a mega millionaire that they're stupid for spending $250,000 of their money, which is chump change, that they would throw in my face and laugh at me. I'm not getting anywhere, man. None of us are getting anywhere telling rich people how to spend their money because they're laughing at all of us. Although the tables have turned now, we're kind of laughing at them like, yeah, that was a real dumb and stupid decision. But guess what? The average American that don't have you know, millions of dollars, we die doing dumb stuff all the time, probably at a lot higher rate than the mega rich do. So let's be honest. And poor people die doing dumb stuff all the time. You know, so mind your business, mind your own pockets and mind your own wallets, because Lord knows the dumb stuff most of us would do out here if we had that type of money. Trust me, I see y'all doing dumb stuff like going and buying these Taylor Swift concert tickets for five thousand dollars of which you ain't got. I just mentioned that on my last podcast. So, like I said, it's all about ratios, man. All right. But now that that little rant's over, let's go ahead and get to the show. Man, I want to start off by saying happy Father's Day to all the XY chromosome having men out there. And that means people that were born naturally as a man. Happy Father's Day to you all. Not the new age man. Not the ones born with just the what? The. The XX chromosomes, the, the the original female saying happy Father's Day to the original male, the real men today. And, you know, there's something weird about Father's Day this year is that it landed on Juneteenth weekend, which is a little bizarre for me because of the fact, you know, on Juneteenth, we celebrate, you know, black people's the black people in uh, Galveston, Texas, that finally two years later found out that slavery was over and they go and celebrate. Oh, my God, we're finally free. We're finally free. You know, it's so weird having Juneteenth on the same weekend as a Father's Day weekend, especially for the black community, considering our abysmal rate of men actually in the home and the actual present fathers. Little bizarre, that correlation. And I told my buddy, I was like, brothers out here celebrating, the, you know, the end of slavery and not having to pay for these children that they created and the end of their child support. So they're getting a double celebration this weekend. I know what you're thinking. That's a bit harsh. I know it is a bit harsh. 
But I'm about to say it like this one drug dealer used to tell me every time I come in contact with him and hop out on him. He'd be like, Nick, I take care of my kids. And I would shoot back, well, I never said you didn't. I'm just stopping you because I know you got drugs in the vehicle, bro. What this got to do with child support? You know, like I said, I'm just saying that because I'm a present father. I do my best to be an active dad. And yes, I have my issues and sometimes I suck. I wonder how my kids really feel about me some days. But I try and I am at least there. So, yes, I can clown on the black community's lack of fathers in the neighborhood or in the family. And it's, it's a shame. I wish it wasn't like that. But it is what it is. It is what it is. Like I said, I'm doing my part. I hope everybody will start doing their part, too. But I'm not going to get too hung up on Juneteenth at the moment because there will be more on Juneteenth to come later in the show. But right now, I need to address something that happened last week at the White House. I need to address these trans titties that were out on the White House lawn, y'all. We all know it's June month and it's Pride month. And I just hate that Pride month eclipses everything in the month of June. Never mind that it's like men's men's mental health awareness month and all that. But all that's getting swept aside just so that the Democrats and the leftists and the far, the far, far leftists can have some white trans titties out on the White House lawn bouncing around. If you don't know what I'm talking about, well, the White House, the Biden administration decided to throw the first ever pride festival party at the White House on the Great Lawn. And of course, I'm looking at this and all I'm thinking is, you know what? Biden is using these people's these people as pawns for votes, just like how the Democrats have done for over for for forever, going back to like the 40s and 50s and 60s. You know, they have used the plight of black people over the years to get their vote. And I'm looking now and I'm seeing they're doing the same thing with the members of the LGBTQ community. And and here's what you all got to look at when you look at Biden and most other people, most other people in government service and politics, man. And, you know, in uh, the House of Representatives and Congress, bro, like most of these people are old and white. Now, let me ask you all, be honest. Do you really think that Biden, an 80 year old white man, Biden was born in 1942. Do you think he really cares about and supports those white trans titties that were bouncing on his lawn? Think about it. Think about it. Do you really think he supports that? You know, Biden may be a Democrat, but we got to be honest. He is an old white man that comes from a time in our world, in America, where the term nigger and and like faggot and all that homo and all this stuff was at was 100 percent acceptable. Like it was absolutely it was part of the culture. It was part of the vernacular and it was accepted everywhere like a credit card. And not just those two names and many other derogatory names that were used during that time. And so every time I see Biden, you know, I was watching uh, the movie The Mule the other day with Clint Eastwood. And every time I see Clint Eastwood, I always kind of see a little bit of Biden. And for some odd reason, I don't know, I was looking at Biden on the uh, when he was giving the speech during the pride during the, <laughs> during the pride event at the White House. And then I, I don't know why I started thinking about Clint Eastwood's character in the movie Gran Torino. You know, he's this angry, old, racist white guy who hated the new world. You know, he was a Korean War veteran. And man, he just absolutely hates Korean or Asians, absolutely hates him in this movie. And so uh, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is he comes outside with his uh, rifle in his hand 
And there's these Asian guys fighting on his lawn. And I just remember the part in the movie where he picks up his rifle, aims it at him, and he just says, get off my lawn. And I imagine Joe Biden looking like Clint Eastwood. Joe Biden, an old white guy born in 1942, an old white man, seeing these white trans titties bouncing on his lawn, on his White House grass. And I just couldn't imagine... President Joe Biden sitting there seeing this and in the back of his demented, dementia ridden mind thinking, get your trans titties off my lawn. I knew that he wanted to say that deep down. But at the same time, I think he knows I need these votes. So I'm going to let your white trans titties continue to bounce on my lawn. But we are eventually going to address it. You know, they're trying to present Biden as such as this progressive president. And he's so progressive and he's for us and he's for black people and he's for the trans people. No, he's not. He's literally for your vote. And he proved that because in a shocking turn of events, President Biden and the the Biden administration, they actually addressed the issue of the bouncing trans titties on the grass at the White House and the other people that didn't have titties. But the uh, females that wanted to be males that, you know, had what they call top surgery and had their titties cut off. And so they know they're out there flashing their scars and yeah, bro, it was just a bizarre event to see at the White House, man. Like, the White House is sacred sacred ground. And we have these people out here acting a fool and bringing shame upon the White House, man. And that's when I knew things were real, when they actually addressed the issue. And the White House banned these people from being able to come back to the White House for any future celebrations. So if you all don't know, which I didn't know myself, this, this trans person, their name is... Uh, Uh, Rose Montoya and Rose Montoya is clearly a trans person although probably one of the most feminine looking trans people I've seen but at the same time once Rose started talking I was like dude that is definitely a dude Rose has the worst voice I mean the the the, oh man I can't even later in the show I'm gonna play you a clip of the apology that Rose made and you're gonna get to hear this voice man I'm talking about but this voice make your butthole itch it's so bad but uh, so the uh, White House press secretary, John uh, Pierre, Kareem Pierre, I can never pronounce her name, but she actually condemned the uh, trans activists for the display. And they said the behavior was simply unacceptable. We've been very clear about that. Jean Pierre said it is unfair to the hundreds of attendees who were there to celebrate their families. It's not appropriate. It's disrespectful. And honestly, like I said, I was very surprised that the White House actually did such an address this issue. You know, and it's nice to see that they have some sort of moral compass. It's and it's not much of a moral compass, but I, I mean, but it's something. So I, I'll give the White House props where props are due. I still don't agree with them having a pride parade at the White House, and I don't agree with them hanging the pride trans flag up on the White House center, which violates flag code. You know, but like I said, nonetheless, I'll take a win is a win and I'll give props where props are due. So I'm glad that they at least called it out and that, that it just did not go unchecked. So Rose Montoya, the transgender person then goes and issues this sad, sad, sad apology. So I'm going to play the entire apology from Rose Montoya right here. It's about three minutes long. All right. So I want you all to listen to this horrible, annoying trans voice. And I want you to be the judge. All right. Check it out. Today I need to apologize. 
Earlier this month, I was invited by the White House to attend a Pride celebration with both President Biden and Dr. Biden. I, alongside other powerful voices in the queer and trans communities, were invited to be represented, seen, and heard in unique and a very special way. As anti-2SLGBTQPIA+, especially anti-trans violence and legislation runs rampant across our country, I was proud to be invited to speak at the National Press Club during my trip to Washington, D.C. in order to speak about transgender people and experiences at the highest levels of our nation. In a quick moment of fleeting and overwhelming trans joy, I decided to do something unbecoming of a guest of the president at the White House lawn celebration. More so than ever before, I have learned how powerful and just how impactful my actions are and how impactful it is when we share our stories and experiences and how we do so with the world. I wanna take this moment to apologize for the impact of my actions. I especially want to apologize to my Black trans brothers and siblings, especially transgender women who are Black, because I understand that you all are constantly, at a disproportionate level, impacted by the actions of others and especially by anti-trans violence. I would also like to apologize to my family and friends who have been harassed. I would also like to apologize to my own community, the 2SLGBTQPIA plus community. And last but not least, I would like to apologize to the president, the White House, and the nation. It was also never my intention to create a situation that would lead to harassment and harm of myself and others, nor for trans joy, like my little moment of trans joy to be weaponized by vile people of the opposition. Moving forward, I am committed to using this moment as a catalyst for creating positive change, both within myself and within the broader community and the world at large. It is my sincere intention to actively promote empathy, equity, inclusion, and understanding through my words and my actions and my advocacy efforts. I also feel energized to educate and articulate to others the importance and power of trans joy in a more effective way. Finally, as I work to engage in meaningful conversations with my community and my allies, I would like to ask for everyone, especially media outlets and journalists, to please respect mine my family's, my friends, and my loved one's privacy during this time. I am unavailable for additional comments and I will not be conducting interviews at this time. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, that voice. Oh, that voice is horrible. So scratchy. Hi, Mr. President. Oh, it's just awful, man. You ain't fooling nobody with that voice. You might be able to fool a couple people, on the upper part, on the upper of the face and all that, but man, you cannot under that voice. Oh, it's horrible, man. It's like nails on a chalkboard. I literally got physically sick listening to this three-minute apology because the voice is just so bad. <laughs> like, oh, man. You know, then after listening to that, I was like, that's not really an apology. It was, but it wasn't. An apology is simple. Hey, I I flashed my trans boobs on the White House in a moment, 
And I'm sorry if it offended anybody. And if they were, you know, if it took away from the movement, I'm sorry. Hey, I won't do it again. I'm going to learn to be a better person. But no, it wasn't just that. It was more so a I'm sorry you're offended by my transgender boobs on the grass. And I'm the real victim here. That's what I got out of that apology. That wasn't an apology for to be sorry because you disrespected the White House and, you know, the sacred ground they're in. That was just a shot at, you know, conservatives and brings up conservative people and has absolutely nothing to do with it. Nobody completely bizarre apology. Like I said it started out great. And initially Rose took you no know, responsibility for the actions on the lawn that day. But in true victim fashion, they turned it around and turned started playing the victim card as they own as they only do. You know, the people in this movement are their own worst enemies, just like any other thing in this country, man. You get a bunch of people in a movement. There's always like one or two or three people that just ruin it for everybody, because I've said it here and I'll say it before. Nobody cares if you're trans. Nobody cares if you're a grown man. And you tell you know what? I feel like a woman. I, I just want I want some boobs and I'm going to you know, chop my dick off and go about the rest of my life taking hormones and dilating myself and i just want to live and present as a woman i am a hundred percent okay with that if you are a grown man and you make that choice hey welcome to america welcome to freedom and liberty that is your personal choice and i can't shame you for that now what i'm not gonna do is sit here and play into the delusion with you and say hey guess what yeah you're really a woman 100 percent a woman no you're not you're just a man that decided to chop his ding dong off and get some boob implants and has a horrible voice so, you know, I, I support you to live your life and be free how you choose and want to. But don't sit here and tell me that you're really a woman now when you're not. Because you only had you are born with X, Y chromosomes, my man. You can present as a woman. But when you die and they dig up your bones in the future, they're going to be like, yo, this was a dude. hundred percent a dude. But Rose was right about one thing. Rose did admit that what one person does does impact the community and can impact the movement and and how people see that and people and it can you know and it can cause negative impacts on the agenda of the you know lgbtq move, movement because it creates so much more you know just hoopla about it and people just get upset and pissed off like me like why are there trans titties bouncing on the white house lawn like it's just not acceptable and like i said on my last podcast i mentioned i know a lot of gay people I know some trans people and like they're just regular, ordinary people that want to pay their taxes, go to work, get the government out of their lives, save money, retire and live good lives. That's all they want. They just want to be normal and left alone and blend in with society and be accepted. And I feel like we have arrived at that point in American society where you can say you're gay and it's just like, cool, bro. All right. Hey, make sure you're here to clock in on time tomorrow. You're gay. All right. Cool. Hey. Here's your uh, here's your citation going about your uh, going about your way. You know, obey the law. You know, we're not going to treat you special because you're gay. We're just going to treat you normal like everyone else. You're not going to be treated differently. You're not going to be set aside and set apart and given special privilege, which is kind of what this movement wants. Yo, but I'm sitting here telling you all that I really think that most of the people in the gay community that are just regular, average, ordinary, ordinary, everyday people like me, they just happen to like to sleep with somebody that looks like them and has the same plumbing as them. 
I guarantee you they're looking at people like Rose Montoya and they're thinking, would you just please stop? You are making it worse for all of us. You are taking away the progress we made and you are creating more enemies and more people that are going to be anti-gay because you're pushing this BS so hard down people's throat and they don't want it. You're making us all look bad. And I and the only thing I'm going to say to all my gay friends out there that are part of the movement and the LGBT and all that and that just live in their lives. Now you all know how I feel. When I get on you know, Facebook or social media and I start scrolling and I see videos of hordes of Negroes in a public setting somewhere acting a damn fool, fighting, I mean, gyrating, doing all the stupid stuff, all the hood stuff. And I sit there and think to myself, damn it, man, why are y'all doing this? You're making us all look bad. And we all know. You know, not all black people act like that, but people see these videos and they assign guilt to everyone that's black. Man, people see these videos of Rose Montoya and the people in the LGBT movement and they assign that to everyone because people are intellectually lazy. And it's too hard for people to just say, like, Dexter's black. He's a good dude. You know, I, I know him. He ain't like that. yo. But man, the average person in America don't have time for all that and too lazy, intellectually lazy as a country. So we see one black person fighting in the street, cussing, you know, being hood as hell. You know, they automatically sign. Well, yeah, they're all like that. It's just like when I get in the comment section on these videos and I see the one comment, I know it's going to be there. And that comment is typical. And it drives me crazy. But I'm like, it is typical for the, a certain segment of the black population. But that is not the black I know. That is not how I grew up. That is not my culture. And that is not my people. The ghetto hood culture is a subculture of black, of being black. And that I am not a part of and want no part of, period. And like I said, it takes one bad batch of Negroes to ruin it for us all. It takes one bad batch of, you know, crazy transgender people to ruin it for everybody else, man. And just like this was a Juneteenth weekend, it takes a handful of people, one handful of bad black folks, to ruin the entire weekend. I'm not going to lie, y'all. When I saw the news coming out of uh, Willowbrook, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago, that one dead and at least 22 hurt in a shooting at a Juneteenth celebration, I said to myself, you know it's got to be niggas. I, you know it is. I know it is. I know it is. And on that one, it said uh, at least one person was killed and 22 others were injured by gunfire overnight in Illinois. In a quote unquote peaceful Juneteenth celebration turned deadly, police say. I don't like when the media uses the word peaceful because it was clearly not peaceful. Kind of like it's like 2020 peaceful where the riots were, uh, you know, no fire. What was, what was it saying? Fiery, but mostly peaceful. <laughs> yeah, I don't don't trust the media's wording. And then not just there, not just in like Willowbrook, just outside of Chicago, a couple hours north, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, my old stomping grounds. Where I still got a lot of family members. You got six teenagers shot at a Juneteenth celebration in Milwaukee. And the thing is, ain't nobody talking about it. Ain't nobody saying a damn word about it. But I'll be I'll be damned. I woke up on the the morning of June 19th and I'm seeing posts from all my white friends that just want to celebrate black liberation. Nobody's free till we're all free, you know. 
and all that stuff is just you know appeasing and pandering to their black friends so they can say hey I'm on your side happy Juneteenth I'm glad you're finally free I'm like white boy I've been free I don't know what you're talking about shut up ain't no slave I ain't been never been no slave ain't nobody in my family been no slave for many generations man but of course they're gonna you know white people and gonna acknowledge Juneteenth but for some odd reason nobody is acknowledging the violence that happened in these two places on Juneteenth you know I guess we're just not gonna talk about it and I mean hell it's only been a blip on the news and you know nothing says let's celebrate the end of slavery in America like a bunch of ignorant Negroes getting together at a Juneteenth celebration celebrating blackness and then all of a sudden you have a shooting where somebody black shoots and takes the life of somebody else that's black at a Juneteenth celebration. This is the most ignorant thing I've ever heard. It's, but it's no different than any other weekend in a black neighborhood and black community, unfortunately. Happens repeatedly. It just so happened to be on Juneteenth weekend. And, you know, considering that Juneteenth is strictly, it is literally a political holiday. The Democrats and Biden came up with this simply because they wanted a leg up on the right and the Republicans, and they wanted to pull the black people in and say, look at us, we gave you Juneteenth. You got to vote for us at 24. You got to vote for us at the polls. We gave you Juneteenth. Who do you think gave you your freedom? You need to vote for me. And for me, what really gets me about these shootings on Juneteenth is this. If y'all remember a couple weeks ago, I spoke it on my podcast, but I also told you all about President Biden at Howard University. And he made the remarks that the greatest threat to America is white supremacy. Now, like I said, he was saying that at Howard University, an all black HBCU, historical black college university, pandering to black folks, pandering to them. He will talk about white supremacy directly to them, but he won't say anything or address the shootings at these Juneteenth celebrations. Why? Because he doesn't want to set his black voter base and call them out on the foolishness at these events that cling the lives of multiple people and hurt countless others. You know, he'll talk about white supremacy, but he won't talk about black violence or address it at all. And you absolutely think he would say something about it because every black person that dies, that's like one less vote for him. You know, you figure he'd be trying to save black lives, but he don't give a damn about black lives and he don't give a damn about Juneteenth. He don't give any care about anybody but his own family, his his now felon son and all that information has come out today. That's what Biden cares about. Taking care of his and his family. That's it. He don't care about your black community. He don't care about none of y'all. Yet you're still going out there and wasting votes on this fool. But, you know, it's weird that Biden and his useful idiots, the media, and then you got these Democratic plantation Negroes that support him and love him no matter what he does. And I can honestly tell you, I know for a fact that when everyone heard these shootings come out at these Juneteenth celebrations, I know the media and the Democratic plantation Negroes were just hoping, wishing and praying that the shooters at these events were white, that they were just some rogue you know, conservative, far right extremists that love Trump and wanted to take back America and like was a, an insurrectionist, as they call him, and somebody that was at the Capitol on Jan 6. That's what they were hoping for when these shootings came out, because they wanted a crazy white person to commit those shootings because it would play right into the narrative 
of what Biden and the left think in this country, that white extremists are the biggest threat to the country. White supremacy. That's it. And you know how I know the shooters were not white in these events, even though they didn't mention them. That's because they didn't mention them. I guarantee you, if it was a white guy or some white people that shot up these events, oh, it would be all over the news, man. They would be having a field day like, yes, we got another crazy one out here. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, he's going out there killing black folks. Man, this is going to be so good for us. This is just really going to play into the narrative that white people are so dangerous in this country. But when they find out it's just another Negro, they're like, yep, just another day. Yep, we're not going to run into prayer. Hey, put it on the 8 o'clock news. About 10 seconds, we're going to move on from it, all right? It is not helping our cause. And I read one of the articles, and this is how I knew it was not, it was not black. It was not uh, somebody white. It said, an unknown number of suspects fired multiple rounds from multiple weapons into a large crowd of people gathered to celebrate Juneteenth, according to the statement from the DuPage County Sheriff's Office. Now, if it had been white people, it would say a large number of white suspects fired multiple rounds into the large crowd of black people gathered to celebrate their freedom in a country where they feel oppressed and not appreciated. That is how the article would have read if it had been somebody had white that had done this shooting. White on black violence sells. White on black fits the narrative. But as I've said before, black on black crime is perfectly acceptable. And so it just gets swept under the rugs and i'm not gonna lie man i saw the video from the milwaukee incident there wasn't one from the illinois incident but the milwaukee incident man oh it made me so mad and i see these videos all the time and i tell people i don't share these videos on social media one because they're tacky and they're cringy and it just makes black people look so bad and i don't believe in sharing that stuff i don't believe in sharing fights but man i just saw this video and i just thought to myself i just these uncivilized negroes out here like feral animals just clapping their booty cheeks and fighting and i'm just like man where is the respect for the sacred day this is juneteenth celebration our ancestors were set free on juneteenth so why are we acting as such on this day this is a day to be celebrated man you know this is a day to show self-respect and reserve you know and Present yourself in the best way possible. Our ancestors weren't acting like that. No, this was not our ancestors' dreams. Black people have been hunted and killed in America since they came to the shores here. Of course, it's not like that now, yo, but you don't even need the KKK anymore because we're doing it to ourselves. We are our own worst enemies. It ain't the white man. It ain't the boogie white man. It ain't that, man. It's us. It's the people, it's the guy down the street that look like you that you got to worry about. You ain't worried about somebody rolling up to your house and burning a cross in your yard. You're worried about Jay Kwan coming to your house, sneaking through your window and taking your Jordans and shooting you in the head in the process. All because he wants the next Jays. That's what we got to worry about. And I know people are probably thinking, man, you're only pointing out the bad events that happened in Juneteenth, man. You know, there's Juneteenth celebrations all across America and none of, nothing else happened there. And that's great. I'm glad nothing else happened. But one event on Juneteenth is too much for any type of celebration of this magnitude for this type of event. There should be no violence on Juneteenth celebrations, especially amongst us that look alike and share the same skin color. So one shooting is too many shootings. 
on Juneteenth, this is the holiday that y'all wanted, wanted more than anything and that are so happy to get. But yet, still can't act right. Still can't get it together. And I told y'all before, I'm not really for or against Juneteenth. If you want to celebrate it, celebrate it. Me personally, I'm not going to necessarily celebrate it. I'll acknowledge it. Like, hey, yeah, cool. Hey, people, hey, bro, happy Juneteenth. I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, okay. No, I text my friends in my text group, like, hey, none of y'all racist bastards wish me a happy Juneteenth. You wish I was back in chains, don't you, you racist, selfish bastards? You know, I say that to my boys, man. We all joke around, but they know I'm not true. It's not true. And I don't care. You don't wish me a happy Juneteenth. I don't care. Because like I said, I've been free a long time. I've never known slavery. But, you know, hey, yeah, it's great that my ancestors are set free. Wonderful. But it's like now that we're free, what are we doing with the freedom? And we see it. Not much. We're still complaining about everything. And this country is horrible. And this and that. And. All this time and the we've made progress, but let's be honest, we've not made as much progress as we can because we keep holding ourselves back. And I saw that this weekend in Louisville when I worked the Juneteenth Festival here on the Belvedere in Louisville. So, like I said, I'm not really for or against Juneteenth because it's a political holiday. You know, it's made up by Democrats to pander to black people for votes. And so for me, I, I worked Juneteenth, the festival. Not for the culture, but for the cash. Yes, they paid me heavily to be there. My homeboy hit me up a couple weeks ago, like, hey, I need an officer. I need it's a 10 officer gig. I want you to come work for me on Juneteenth. I was like, how much you paying? Oh, yeah, I'm there. I am there. Because trust me, if it wouldn't have been paying that much, my black ass would have been at home on the couch. I wouldn't have been out celebrating Juneteenth, but I'm about my money. So, you know, I committed to, you know, work this job a couple weeks ago. But I did something a little different this time with Juneteenth. I did something y'all going to be completely shocked, but I decided I was going to bring my family to Juneteenth Festival here in Louisville while I worked. And I know what you're thinking. Negro, is you crazy? Eh, Now, hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. All right. So the reason I brought my family, especially my kids to the Juneteenth Festival, one, I like to spend time with my family, be around them when I can. And if I'm working somewhere downtown or at a festival and I'm working, getting paid and my family could be there with me. And I feel like as long as they're with me, they're safe. I'm cool. Come on out. Now, like I said, I'm not a big you know, celebrator of Juneteenth and all the activities they're in. But, hey, I want my kids to be exposed to other stuff in this world. And I don't want them just thinking that. The word, the way we live our life in the pits house is the only way that people in the world live because that's not true. Now, I want my people, my kids to be, you know, well versed when it comes to meeting other people. So, you know, we live in a very safe and predominantly white area. Now, there are now there's not a lot of black people here. And I'll say it's not a super rich area, but, you know, we're not upper class, but you got to have some money to be where I'm living. at. I'm not going to lie. You got to have some money. And, you know, it's so weird. You know, there's there are black people here. But, you know, whenever I'm out and I see, you know, somebody black in my neighborhood and they're all walking, you know, we always seem to lock eyes and we always seem to do that black head. Now that that quick. Yo, what's up, man? What's up? And to me, when I see that other black person like that in my neighborhood and we connect like that, that's him looking at me and me looking at him and say, hey, I see you, bro. Hey, you made it. I made it. We made it, man. We made it. But I want my kids to be exposed to different environments, different cultures and different people. You know, I grew up in the military. So 
for me, growing up, diversity was the norm for me growing up. You know, I would go down to Mississippi in the summertime and see my family down there, you know, in the cotton fields down there. But then I would also go to Milwaukee sometimes and visit the other half of the family and I would be there. So I was around black people. But my everyday occurrence, you know, my day to day in my life growing up, I was just surrounded by different people from different walks of life all the time. And I really, really enjoyed it. And so for me, like I, said, I want I don't want my kids to be afraid of other black people. Just I just don't because I mean it, it, there's not a lot here in my community, but there's you know we're here, but they got to see that there's different types of black people, and the black people that typically live here in my community are like me, mostly very conservative, want to be left alone. We ain't down for the BS, the ghetto hood BS. We don't want our you know we don't want our property taxes going up. We don't want none of that over here. We pay too much money to live here amongst these white folks now, and you ain't gonna ruin it for us all. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So like I, said, I want my kids exposed to just different types of people. And like I said, I want them to see our family that's black and I want them to see another family that's black. That's completely different because once my kids graduate, get out into the real world, they're going to realize this ain't Dexter and Christina's house. Oh, what's the jungle out here? People are not. Everybody's going to like me because we got the same skin color. Not everybody's going to like me because, you know, we do it this way and they do it that way. But like I said, I'm also aware that even though I brought my family to the Juneteenth Festival, I'm also aware of the environment that is at the Juneteenth Festival because I've been black 39 years. I know the black community and I've been a cop in the black community in the hood for a long time. Not anymore. Thank God. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I know about that life, man. And so I know that the Juneteenth Festival is not a very pro police, pro law enforcement type of area. And I know it's, it's not very law enforcement friendly. Now, and, and that's not that everyone hates the police, but you get a lot of side eyes and mean mugs when you're rolling around in the Juneteenth Festival as a black cop wearing a police uniform. And so, you know, I also thought it was a great ideal if other black people in the Juneteenth Festival saw me, a black officer, a black man in a police uniform who looked like them with his family and his wife and kids. I figured that'd be great for people to see so they could be like, hey, brother, just like me. Like, yeah, bro, I'm black. Yeah, I, we have a different opinion on what being black is. But yes, I have a wife and kids. I have a black wife. I have a black son and a black daughter. I am not that much different than you. There's not that much degree of separation from us, man, because people, the way people look at black police officers sometime, like we're not black at all. And I'm like, you got the wrong opinion, my dude. But like I said, I think it's just good for them to see that side of me as well. So but before we went into the Juneteenth Festival, I had to talk with my kids and I wanted to warn them that there are going to be some people here that do not like your daddy because I'm a cop. And you all might see some people looking at me a certain way and you might hear people say some things that are not very nice about the police. But for the most part, my family was with me about three hours at the at the uh Juneteenth Festival. Then, honestly, there were no issues for the most part. But there was at one point in time we were in there. My wife was like, man, the kids are thirsty. Let's go to the food trucks. And we start walking to the food trucks and we're going into this open field on the waterfront. And then I see the stage and I see a protester from 2020 on the stage with a microphone. And I said, oh, damn, here we go. They started talking about Breonna Taylor. And then guess who comes out? Brianna Taylor's mother comes out 
And they're just like, you know, Breonna Taylor's mother is just this, you know, she's a goddess and all this. And I'm just like, oh, God, here we go. Crowd's going to start getting revved up. And then the next thing you know, the protester starts hitting the crowd with some of these chants we used to hear in 2020. And one of the ones is, you know, arrest the motherfucking cops. But of course, this is a quote unquote family Juneteenth event. He said, arrest the cops and a couple other chants. And then I'm just sitting there looking at my kids and they're like, they're listening to hearing it. But I don't think they're really understanding the connotation of what they're saying by arrest the cops, you know. And of course, you know, then it's not just that, you know, there were some people doing poetry. This wasn't just poetry. And, you know, there was some rap music, but it was, you know, anti-police. It was very I'm a victim, you know, I'm just a young black man in the hood. He's got his gun in my face. I don't think I'm gonna live to see the rest of the rest of the day. You know, and it's just like, oh God. And it's it's I'm not surprised because that is expected. That is what the black culture is, unfortunately, for a lot of people and how they see themselves with the police. And I understand to a degree because of black people's experiences here in America. It's been vastly different than white people. But still, in 2020, 2023, bro, life is good for black people in America, but all we seem to focus on is the negatives of it, not the positives, man. So, and then it got worse. I'm sitting there and my kids are just listening and it started getting real political. And this is how I knew, well, which I've always known that I'm black, but I'm not black like them because in order to be accepted within the black community, especially during Juneteenth, you have to check certain boxes to be accepted and to be seen as black. Just because you got black skin don't mean that you in. You hear what I'm saying? So the protester then starts getting political and he starts crapping all over a highly educated, successful black man that's from the same area as me, Hardin County, and who's potentially going to be the next governor in the state of Kentucky. Daniel Cameron, and he's a black Republican. Daniel Cameron is extremely successful, extremely intelligent. If my son grew up and said, hey, daddy, I want to be like Daniel Cameron. I'd be, hey, my man, go right ahead forward, my dude. I mean, I would be happy if my son said he wanted to be like Daniel Cameron. Absolutely. Now, my son said he wanted to be like George Floyd. I picked, picked this little Negro up and ring him by his neck and kick him out the door. And I had to pray for him and put hands on him, y'all, because we ain't having no George Floyds. In my house, we you know the last name Pitts means something there, but I'll take a Daniel Cameron, another Daniel Cameron coming out of my house, but not a George Floyd. But man, and just to see another black man crap on a successful black man that's doing things unimaginable in the state of Kentucky, that's potentially going to be the first black governor in the state of Kentucky. And these other Negroes don't want it because he's a black Republican and because he wasn't on the Breonna Taylor train. And so they want to destroy this man. And the protester just kept yelling, hey, y'all, man, we can't let Daniel Cameron win that spot. We just can't. Hey, we got to get out there and vote, man. We can't let Daniel Cameron win. It's so funny how when Barack Obama was running for president in 2007, 2008, people, oh, my God, he's going to be the first black president ever. Why are we not that excited about a black man, the first black ever black Kentucky governor? Why not get the same energy? Oh, that's right, because we only support black people who think like us and that are on the same page as us. And so for me, it's weird. 
when you're at the Juneteenth Festival, you know, everything is designed to raise up and support black businesses and black people. You know, there's even a sign that's all over the place down there that said, do something black today. But me being around long enough and understanding, knowing that when they say support black business or do something black and support your fellow black people. Like I said, there are certain boxes that have to be checked in order to get that support. You have to hate the police. You got to be a victim and have a victim mindset. You have to hate America and want it destroyed. You got to be a Democrat. You have to agree that with everything the black community does and stands for. And you can't speak out against anything the black community does, even if it's negative. And you can't be an individual. You have to toe the line and think like everybody else does. That's the only way you get black support in the Juneteenth area or the black community right now. And I think that is absolutely ridiculous. And like I said, this is the stuff I already knew and I've been well aware of for so long, which is why I don't do it for the culture. And that's why I speak out against the culture because it's BS. You know, man, my wife, she knows me. She knows how I am. We've been together going on 11 years. She's said, you know, man, imagine you could just, you imagine you're trying to sell your book here. I wanted to be looking at her and be like, woman, are you crazy? Do you hear what you just said? My book being sold at this place, my book that talks about being black and being independent and being free and not caring about what the black community thinks and loving America, a picture of me, a black cop on the front lines of the 2020 riots, my book cover, downtown Louisville with the helmet on and a taser in my pocket. You think this book is people want to see this, read this book here? I think not. There ain't a chance, man. There is no way that I am Pitt's Memoirs of an American Patriot would sell one copy at the Juneteenth Festival. One, Even if I went to try to set up a tent, they probably be like, yeah, nigga, get up out of here. You ain't one of us. And I know that. I know that. That's why I never attempted to try to sell it things like that or like a black expo. Because honestly, the black community is not my target audience. Now, I wish it was. I wish there were some black people that'd be like, yo, man, this is a great book, Dex. Oh, man, this is awesome, awesome, awesome. You've inspired me. I want to serve my country. But that's not the black community as a whole. They don't, that's not what they want. I wish there was more. I know there's some, but I wish the black community would actually just take time to read my book and say, hey, man, I get it, bro. I don't agree with it, but I get it. That's what I want. But that ain't what's going to happen. And so, you know, I tell people, yeah, I'm black, but looking around at the people at Juneteenth and all this stuff, I'm like, this is not my culture and these are not my people. Literally, the only thing we have in common is the color of our skin, which means absolutely nothing to me. And I know what y'all are thinking. Well, if black people aren't your people, Dexter, who are your people? What's your culture? Man, my people don't have a certain color, y'all. They just don't, man. I have brothers and sisters of all colors, races, nationalities, you know, religions, political spectrums, different tax brackets. Man, I just, I just got people. I'm like Vin Diesel. I got family, man. And my family is just random people. It really is, man. I don't subscribe to just one type of person to be my, to be my homie, my homegirl. I just don't. That's never been the case for me. That is color is obsolete to me. It means nothing. Dude, I, I don't care about any of those factors, man. Only thing I really care about is 
How are you going to treat me and how do you treat others? Are you a person with respect? Do you respect other people? Are you selfless? Are you a helper? Do you have integrity? Are you a productive member of society? Do you believe that someone's character matters more than their skin color? That is literally the baseline for everything that I do and believe in and how I choose people to be around me. I don't just choose people to be my friend because they're black. You don't get to just be my friend because you're white. And just because you're a veteran or a cop does not mean we're automatically going to be friends because that is all surface level stuff. I'm talking about below the surface, below the uniform, below the skin. Who are you? What do you stand for? And what do you represent? Because I don't want to be around people that don't represent the things that I believe in. And there are good people that come from different walks of life that don't have black skin and that do have black skin. Those are my people. Those are the people I want to be around. Don't be don't just think just because you got a police uniform. Hey, bro, we're going to be tight and super cool. We're not because I've met a lot of people in this uniform that ain't that good of people. Plenty. Don't think because you got black skin. Hey, brother, what's up? Soul brother number five. What's up, my digger? What's up, dog? That don't mean we're going to be friends, homie. That don't mean nothing to me. What's on the inside? And just like there's a lot of cops that go out here and do bad, there's plenty of niggas out here that go out and do bad too. And you're not a bad person just because you're a cop. And you're not a bad person just because you're black. You're a bad person because you got a bad heart and you got bad character. That's it. Only thing your skin color does or a uniform does is hide it. But you can only hide your character for so long till the real you comes to the surface. And that's when I start making my judgments on if I want you in my circle or not. You know, my culture, what's my culture? You know, people say, I don't know, really know how to describe black culture because it's not fair to describe black culture based on what you see on the news and the music and TV. That's not that's not fair because I'm black, but that does not represent me. That's not my culture. I come from a family of cotton picking Negroes from the South. A grandfather that picked cotton for freaking 60 plus years. That's that's my legacy. I'm a, a culture of hard work. Man, I got a cousin that's an engineer. This boy, this dude is balling out of control. College educated. I got another cousin, his brother, that is a freaking big time lawyer in New York City. Their mother, my cousin, is a captain on Indianapolis PD. My father was in the military. My uncles were in the military. Dude, I was in the military. I'm college educated. I believe in acting a certain way. I believe in freedom, liberty, personal responsibility, and integrity. That's my culture. I believe in getting married and staying with the same woman and raising kids with that woman and being an active, present parent. That's my culture. Not the culture you see on TV with hip-hop and you know the sub-ghetto culture and the hood culture. That ain't my culture. Hell, that ain't most black people I know. Most black people I know are hardworking, pay their taxes, and they go about their lives and want to be left alone. They might have some ideological differences than me, but at the end of the day, they're black and they are just like me. They just want to be left alone and live their lives. Nothing else. But for some odd reason, I don't know why we love to paint black people with this negative stereotype of this ghetto, super ghetto hood brush. Because, man, and it's just ugly. I hate it because I'm like... That's not us. That's them. But that ain't us. I don't know. That ain't the black people I know. 
I don't hang out with black people like that, man. I ain't got time, bro. I ain't got to be time to be, you know, getting locked up and going to jail. I ain't got time, bro. I got, you know, pay my taxes. I got to make sure my tag's up to date. I ain't got time for the foolishness, man. So that's why I choose my people wisely. And that's why I don't just take on black culture and call it my culture because it does not represent me. You know, culture is very important. And, and not just that, having a tribe is so important. And one thing I've always looked for, and my wife always tells me, I don't get out much. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I really don't. I don't I don't party. I don't go out to bars. I don't really hang out. I'm at home or I'm at work or I'm somewhere doing something at church. And, and so for me, since I've left Metro and just since I've been back from uh, Arizona, I've been, you know, I know my purpose in life is to be a cop. And I tell people all the time, I love being a cop. I'm not leaving. This is what I do. This is what I'm going to do for the foreseeable future. Now, but being a cop is not enough. I need you all to hear me. I need you all to listen again, especially the police officers out there. Being a cop is great, but being a cop is not enough. You have to have something more to you, more to yourself than just the police uniform. You have to, because eventually one day this uniform is going to come off. And when it comes off and you leave and you don't go to roll call anymore, there's not going to be anybody there. Your friends, you know, you'll have some friends that will stick around. But for the most part, everybody's going to keep going on. The department's going to go on without you. There's going to be runs. People go on without you, yo, just because that's just the way it is, man. The machine does not stop moving. And so for me, over the last few years, and especially the last few months with everything I got going on, you know, with, you know, my PTSD and all these other issues, man, I've been telling, like, praying, asking God, I'm like, man, I need something more than what I have. I, I have my, my life is made. I live a good life. I work on a great department. I make great money. There's money in the bank. I don't have to worry about the things everybody, everybody worries about in America on the average. I just don't. I'm very blessed. And I say highly favored, man. God has literally blessed me beyond repair. And I mean, I have my health. I mean, I got a beautiful wife, great kids. And you would think, man, how could you not be happy? What else more is there that you need? And me, I'm the type I'm always setting out and searching for more and looking to do more. So I wrote a book and now my book's done. My book has been successful, according to me, because I sold more than I imagined that I would sell. And it gave me a goal and it gave me some temporary satisfaction and happiness. But it didn't last. You know, then you know, I got the podcast, I started the podcast and I was like, man, this is great. I got the podcast. I do it. I love it. Like I said, this is episode 97. I'm rolling. I'm coming up on 100. I love doing the podcast. But at a certain point in time, it's just like, it's just a podcast. It's fun. But what else is there, God? There's got to be something else that I'm missing, something else that I need that I'm not getting. And I've been praying for a while and I've been asking God for direction. Like, oh God, what is it really going to take? What is it that I'm missing that I'm not getting in my life, that I'm not getting from a great job, that I'm not getting from a book? from writing a book and I'm not getting from a podcast. And I've been asking for that direction for years. And I feel like God sent something to me recently to show me that, Hey, you're more than a cop. You're more than your book. You're more than your podcast. You are my son. You are my child. And I love you with you. I am pleased, but there's one thing you're missing Dexter. Yeah. yeah. You see, you serve the country, you serve the community, you serve the family. But the one thing you're missing, Dexter, is you don't really serve me. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, I pay my tithes. Like, God, what else is there more for me to do for you and serve? 
And when God calls you to something and presents you with an opportunity that you know is strictly by him, you have to take it. So I'm sitting at home a couple of weeks ago and I get this strange text message from this guy at my church. Never met him, but his name was Luke. And Luke was like, hey, man, we need some strong, positive and encouraging men to come and teach in the kids Sunday you know, morning Bible in a, excuse me, the kids Sunday morning, Sunday school class. We need some good, strong, positive, encouraging men. And I was like, my first thought was like, well, I don't know who, what are you calling me for? I'm not teaching no kids on a Sunday morning. Got to get up at eight 30 to be at church to teach kids. Like, Oh no, nah, player. Uh, 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 uh. And I just thought to myself, I was like, hold up, man. Like, uh, why am I getting this call? It just started going through my mind. I'm like, why, why are y'all calling me? I just started going to church here. I haven't even signed up to fully become a member yet, but I'm, I'm going to. But it's just like, why are y'all calling me? Like, who thought to call Dexter Pitts to lead a second grade class or first grade group of class of kids in a Sunday school lesson? Lord, Lord, you know, I'm a hot mess. You know, I got issues. Why would you call me? to do such a thing. And I talked to Luke and, and I listened. He's like, Hey man, just come in one Sunday and just take a tour and just follow and shadow somebody. And so I went on a Sunday early in the morning, got up against my will. And I was like, God, I don't want to get up. I'm so tired. I worked last night and I had to get up at like seven 30 and I had to be at church by eight 30. So I got my coffee and I drove to church and I'm just sitting there kind of grumpy, like, man, I really don't want to be here. And then I went and I shadowed the guy that I was following and just talking and just being around the kids and learning how to do things and lead the class. And then I thought to myself, I'm having a really good time and I am really, really enjoying this. And then the gifts that God has blessed me with to be able to talk to people and connect with kids really started to come out in me. And then by the time it was over, I walked up and told Luke, hey, man, I'm all in. I can't wait to be here again and do it again. And so now I'm at a point to where I am teaching the Sunday school kids in my class every, you know, every other week. I'm going to be in there helping lead class and being a leader. And for me, it's something I didn't realize I was always looking for and something I've always wanted because me being big, me being an enormous person with my background being military and a police officer, literally every church I've been to, hey, bro, we're going to put you on the security team, man. Yeah, we need security. We're going to put you out in the parking lot. And every time I'm just like, man, bro, I'm tired of being on the security team at church. That's not what I want to do. I like I do this for 60, 70 hours a week. I, I love y'all. I want to protect y'all. I promise something to happen. I'm going to be there. I just want I don't want to be on the security team. And so for me, when I got this call from Luke at the church, this was God telling me, Dexter, you're more than just a cop. You're more than just a writer. You're more than just a podcaster. You're also a teacher and you're going to teach my children. And you're going to keep them in line. and You're going to protect them all in one. And so my wife looks at me and tells me, she's like, you know, you got to take this position. And I told her, I was like, I know I have to. Because I don't believe that these things just so happen to happen for a reason. I believe that there's a reason behind everything. And, and I'll tell y'all, man, I've had my struggles. I'm still currently going through with PTSD as I'm currently fighting this battle. But I'll tell you what, man, there's something that gets me up now on a Sunday morning when I know I have to teach. 
these kids and be there by 830, even though I got off at one o'clock and I'm not and I'm still tired. There's something in me that comes to life and makes me smile when I get in there and I get around these kids early on a Sunday. And I'm telling you, there is something that comes alive in me. I can't explain it, but everything in the world is right and perfect when I do it. And that's because I know that I am walking in the purpose of God that he set before me and that I knew if I had turned down this opportunity that I would be spitting in God's face, telling him, no, that ain't for me. I don't want what you have for me. And I'm telling y'all, I am so glad that I've taken this, taken this up. And I know what y'all thinking, boy, that's going to, that must be a rough crowd for you. Like now, man, they, they bring out the best in me. They really do. I've, I've done it twice already. And I tell you what, I love it. And I am happy to be something else more than just a police officer. Now I can say, Hey, I'm a Sunday school teacher. And I know, boy, don't corrupt them kids. Dex. I promise I'm not, I promise I'm not. I am who I am. I don't hold back, but at the same time, I know how to talk to kids. And there's one thing I do know. I love God. I love Jesus Christ. And I do my best to be a good Christian and a good follower as much as possible. But like I said, I'm the first to admit, Lord knows I have my flaws, but he knows me, his son. And the fact that he brought me this opportunity, it is an opportunity that I'm going to take and that I'm going to run with and that I do not plan on squandering because I don't think these opportunities come Often, especially for me, because like I say I'm tired of being a security guy, tired of just being a cop. And God's given me the opportunity and chance to be so much more than that. And I've never been so thankful. And I'll be honest, it did something for me. The first class I taught when my kids were in there and their kids, my kids got to see daddy in church leading, you know, the Sunday school lesson. And my kids aren't used to seeing me get up early on a Sunday to go to church. They know I'm in the door at the last second. I, I'm the type of guy to go to church to get there at the last second because I don't like church music. Lord knows. I'm telling I'm telling y'all right here now. I'm not a big church music fan, y'all. Forgive me. Some of y'all, I'm not, I can't do it. I can't do it. Just, I just don't care for I'm not a music person in general, yo. But I'm I stroll in literally, try to stroll in after the music's done because I just like some good preaching. I like a good word. That's it. Not really up for music, but hey, but my kids now see me up early. Where are you going, Daddy? I'm going to church to teach Sunday school. And that to me is worth more than anything because they see me living the life that I tell them that they ought to be living. They don't just they don't just hear me saying it. They now see me doing it and see me living it because it's a sacrifice for me to get up on a Sunday morning at 730 when I worked the night before and didn't get off till late. And I'm tired and I'm cranky and I'm grouchy and I don't want to get up and I don't want to go. But they see me get up and go anyway. So I'm thankful for that opportunity. But it doesn't just stop there. I also got something else in my life that's new that I was very skeptical about for the longest time. You know that I've never been a fan of it. And I'll tell you all, I am quickly falling in love. And that is jujitsu. So. I told y'all I've been looking for more to do besides just being a cop. And honestly, since I left the LMPD police department and I met my new department, I love the guys I work with. They're great. They're awesome. But let's be real. Everybody's older. These aren't new guys. These are guys that are seasoned. You know, they get there to get the money. They go and, you know, they have their time with their families. And I'm the same way. Like, I don't have time to really be hanging out outside of work. I just don't. I just busy. Got wife, kids, family, and a ton of other things to do. So that the one thing I've really been missing from Louisville was the camaraderie. 
with the Louisville Metro police officers and the where I, the people I worked with, and the camaraderie was so great and so tight. I'm not saying that there's not camaraderie where I'm at. It was just more and just it was just more and more. It was better, just because there was a younger crowd, and I I don't know what it was, but it was just special, man. I I think because we had so many tragedies we've been through together there in the first division, we were just a tighter knit group. And I said, the people I work with now are great people, and they look after me and take care of me. My God, shout out to my dude, Brian. My, this dude then saved my behind more times than I can count already. Shout out to my dude, man. But, yeah, so, you know, I don't get the chance to hang out with them that much. And I told my wife, is like, you need a hobby. You need something to do. And I'm like, I have a podcast. She said, that ain't it. And I wrote a book like, that ain't it. And it's I love these things, but they're not it. When I was talking to my buddies in uh, the Border Patrol, you know, and They've all been talking about jujitsu. And I'm the type of guy that when people start talking about jujitsu, like I get sick in my stomach. I'm like, oh, God, here these people go. Because I've always kind of viewed jujitsu kind of like CrossFit and being a vegan. Like everybody talks about it. And it's just like the greatest thing ever. And I'm just like, here they go. Like, hey, bro, you got cancer. You know what you need? You need to do jujitsu. I listen to Jocko and I listen to all these other podcasts. People talk, you need jujitsu. And I mean, it to me, jujitsu was a dirty word and I've never been a believer. And I told y'all, I'm a big man. I've been in the army infantry, a cop. I've done all sorts of training combatives and I've never been into it. I, I don't even like combat sports like UFC comes on and a fight comes on. I don't care. Boxing. I don't care. The only sport I was ever interested in remotely close was pro wrestling. We know that ain't real. I mean, that was literally the only thing that entertained me. Like I've never been into fighting sports, yo, but. I don't know why, but my buddy started talking about it more and more and more and more. And I just started listening to people talking about it more, just how jujitsu is magical and all this stuff. You know, and just and like it'll change your life. It'll change your life. And I was at a point I've been at a point where I've just been kind of desperate for something more and more of a challenge. Yo. And I'm like, man, I need a challenge. And don't get me wrong. Getting up on a Sunday and going and teaching Sunday school is a challenge. But it is not that challenging once you get into it because it's kind of done for you now. Yo, but I needed a physical challenge and I needed something more. I was kind of drowning. I'm like, man, my life is good. And it's just like, it's, it's too good. It's almost like I don't have any challenge. I'm getting stale and I'm not growing now, yo, because you know, I'm, I'm on the, one of the best paid police departments in Kentucky and I got all this stuff and this money. And, and I'm just like, yo, but I'm not growing. I need something more to push me. This isn't a challenge. This is just a way I feed my family, something I do that I love, but I'm not growing. And so I just kept hearing more and more and more about jujitsu. And I'm the type of guy that hears jujitsu and be like, you know what? You know how I feel about jujitsu? It's kind of like I don't, I told, I would tell people this all the time. I don't have to take a man in my mouth to know I don't like taking a man in my mouth. That's how I feel about jujitsu. <laughs> Like, I don't need to do it to know it. I don't like it. I just don't. Anytime we go to class and I'll be like, oh, my God, is this almost over? And I had a bad, I guess, experience in a gym here in Louisville a long time ago, over 10 years ago, man. Little great people, but I just went in there and got my butt kicked all the time and didn't learn anything. And, and then it was just like an intense cardio session. And I just it felt like being in an academy and I was paying to get my butt kicked. I was like, bro, this is not it. You know, so and I just walked away and, and it was just I've never Never got back into it, man. But so my buddies keep talking about it and I just dis and I start researching and I find this gym here in uh over in uh in Jeffersonville, Indiana. 
and I check into the gym and I call them and they tell me how much it is. And this was the, also the excuse I've given for years as to why I don't train jujitsu. It's too expensive and I don't have time. You look at some of these prices, these places, $150, $180, $200 a month to train. Yo, and I'm like, man, bro, I got wife, kids, and family. Can I afford $150? Yeah, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to pay $150 to have somebody just beat me up. So I call this gym and I just start calling around pricing places. And I tell them, hey, I'm an officer. I just wanted to come check out the place. Yo, well, they tell me, hey, it's only 50 bucks a month for police officers to train until you get your blue belt. I was like, excuse me? 50 bucks a month? They're like, yeah, 50 bucks a month. I was like, that is not real. Like, absolutely. Come in, check it out one day. And so I go in there one day and I meet the guy, Mr. Maury. Uh, he's a veteran and a black belt, you know, and he's been beating people up for years. And, 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 so I'm just listening, listening in and looking at the class and watching the guys do the jujitsu. And I'm just like, man, what are you doing, Dex? Why are you here? This is stupid. You know, you hate jujitsu. Why? Like, you don't like fighting. Why are you here? And I told myself, like, man, you know what? I'm going to give myself three months of total commitment to doing this. And if I don't love it by the end of the three months, I'm out three months, man. I went to my first class and man, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm not going to say I fell in love with jujitsu, but man, I felt alive. And I mean, going to the class, I was like, this is stupid. This is dumb. I don't want to do it. Like, why am I doing this? Why am I giving people $50 to do some dumb stuff that everybody talks about? That's not going to work in a fight and something. It's just not gonna, it's not going to do anything for me, man. I felt like crap going in, but I can't explain it. There was something about me being in there and getting my butt absolutely kicked and getting demolished by these higher belts and getting, you know, tapped out and submitted by somebody half my size something in me kind of awoke to where that challenge I've been looking for, like, hold up, man, like I should be able to handle these guys. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. You know, but dude, and, and, and I couldn't wait to go back to the next class to try to get better, to see what I to see what I could learn and do. And not just that, the people at the jujitsu gym that I'm at, man, these are some great top quality, top, tier individuals man there's a lot of police officers there but there's also just a lot of good people there i was in there getting my butt kicked but i didn't feel like i was getting my butt kicked to the point to where i'm just being a punching bag i'm getting my butt kicked to learn and they're teaching me and they're showing me different stuff and i'm just like whoa that's amazing and dude i'll tell you what i didn't realize how bad a shape i was in until somebody was on top of me and I'm under the bottom of them. They're just absolutely smothering me. And all I want to do is get out and breathe. And I can't. And I'm trying to figure out ways to do it. And I'm forced to tap out. It's man, I can't just. And by the time it was over, man, I've never felt more alive. I've never felt more just open and just challenged. I mean, it was something in my mind triggered. And I was like, I can't wait to get back here. Man, I'm telling y'all, I went home and I ordered me a gi, freaking from Elite Sports, and I ordered the no-gi trainer stuff, and man, I have been going at least twice a week. I'm trying to do three times a week, but it's hard because of work and family life, but I have been in there, and I am on the path. I'm telling you, I am absolutely thrilled, and I am enjoying it, and the teachers are wonderful. 
And I almost walked out because one of the teachers that owns the place, his name is O'Laughlin, but everybody calls him Opie. He's this giant ginger. And 13 years ago, when I was in the police academy, I had to fight Opie in ground fighting. And this man absolutely demolished me and stole my manhood. So I remember being on my back in the academy 13 years ago with this guy knee on my belly, just toying with me, doing whatever he wanted with me. And I couldn't do anything. I'm just like, what the heck do I do? And I walk in there and I see him. I'm like, oh, God, like the PTSD instantly kicked in. I remembered I remembered that ass whooping from Opie. And I was like, oh, my God, it's it's him. <laughs> and I talked to him. He's like, hey, what's up, man? I was like, sir. I was like, I still remember that butt kicking from 13 years ago. He said, man, it's been 13 years. I'm like, yeah. He's like, don't remind me of how old I've gotten. Hey, but, dude, amazing guy, amazing instructor. When I talk about a total badass, him, he is, and Mr. Moore. I mean, there's all ty different types of guys there, man. I fought my first black belt, or excuse me, brown belt a couple weeks, about a week or two ago. And I was always wondering, like, man, how do you know who's on what level? Like, blue belt, you know, versus brown belt versus purple belt. Oh, brother, I found that out real quick. This black guy, I guess his name is uh, Stith. He's a firefighter. Oh, man. Brother had his way with me. Had his way. Half my size. Destroyed my manhood. <laughs> There's literally nothing I could do. All I kept thinking was survive, survive, survive. But like I said, there's just something so humbling and freeing about getting beat by these guys. And that makes you want to come back and learn. And so, I mean, I, the past couple of weeks, man, my body hurts, my neck hurts, my my toes hurt, my hands hurt. My God, I was fighting a 17 year old the other day and I couldn't do nothing with this little dude. And I'm just holding on to his gi so tight. And I'm just like, why won't you submit? My God, I weigh like 200 pounds more than this guy. And, it, and he's just giving me the fight of my life. And I couldn't do anything with him. And by the time I was done, I couldn't even unsqueeze my hands because my muscles and my forearms had contracted so hard from me holding on to this dude trying to do something. Yo, it was just, man, I'm not going to say I completely love it to the point to where it's like, man, jujitsu is life. But right now, I'm all in, dude. I am absolutely all in. As I listen to Jocko and Echo talk on the podcast, they call it on the path. I am on the path, man. You know, I went to class yesterday and there was only me and one other guy. And we had a one on one session with our teacher, Mr. Moore. We're just in there learning chokes. And I mean, man, it is just absolutely amazing. And what we got yesterday was he and I were wrestling me and my buddy, me and Raymond. We did a seven minute roll where we just going at each other for seven minutes. Let me, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you all something. If you have never fought anybody for try fighting somebody for three minutes, I mean, you are gassed. You have expended all your energy in about three minutes. Try doing it for seven, then taking a break and then doing it for another four. Let alone try doing it for 30 minutes to 45 minutes which I have, it freaking sucks, it blows, it hurts, but I freaking enjoy it though, man. I am absolutely, man, I'm all in. I'm learning, learning, you know, the, the chokes and different stuff. And the thing is, there's just so much to learn and it's so overwhelming, yo, but people tell me all the time, you're gonna be overwhelmed right now because you're a white belt. You're supposed to be overwhelmed and it is, but man, everybody's just so reassuring. Everybody's so cool. And everybody's so humble and just so freaking nice. Yo, and 
I love it, man. I'm out. I am absolutely all in, and I'm proud to be a member of the uh, Jeffersonville Jiu-Jitsu Academy over in Jeffersonville, Indiana, man. Let me tell y'all something. It's changing me. It's definitely changing me. And, it, and for me, being the guy that I am and currently going through this PTSD battle, it is so great when I get out on the mat and I'm learning, getting choked out and tapped out and sweating hard and breathing hard. All the stuff in my mind is gone and cleared away, dude. It like when I'm locked in, I am locked in and nothing else in the world matters. And man, it is the best feeling. And I feel my best when I come off the mat after a, you know, hour and a half training session and rolling session, I am literally at my best and I go to work and man, my clarity is there. It's just the world is open and can't even explain it, man. I have not felt this good about doing something in a long, long, long time. And so am I going to become one of those uh, jujitsu bros, man, where you need jujitsu, bro? You need to sign up. I'm, I'm not going to become that guy because I've never cared for that guy. yo. But I will say I'm starting to understand that guy. And I tell everybody that I know that I'm doing jujitsu that I want to get it and I want to understand. I want to see. I want to see that positive change that everybody says jujitsu changed my life. I want to see that for myself and in myself. I'm still early in the process, so I can't see that right now directly, but I can see bits and pieces pieces of it starting to shine through. And man, I I'm all in, y'all. I am absolutely all in. You know, people used to say every cop needs to train jujitsu, and I used to be like, bullshit. And but I now I'm starting to see. Absolutely starting to see, man. So, man, I'm getting ready to go ahead and end this one off. Getting a little off the rails. Been fun, man. Glad to get down here back and do the podcast on a Tuesday late in the evening. Man, uh, thank you all for tuning in so much. Hopefully this one didn't get a little too wild. I know <laughs> I was getting a little amped up there for a little bit. But, uh, man, hey, thank you all for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Thank you all for coming back. I wanted to make sure I got this one out the way before I go back to work tomorrow for my five-day stretch and, you know, trying to work overtime and getting the off-duty in and, you know, getting my training in. So I got a lot going on. So decided to go ahead and knock this one out. Like I said, thank you all for tuning in. Hey, and before I go, also got to remind you all, go to check out my sponsor, gunfightertrading.co man go check these guys out and get yourself some of these wonderful candles right now i'm sitting here burning the nco candle smells great smells manly i tell you it smells even better after doing a jujitsu session oh man that thing is so relaxing the candle god it smells so good so go to gunfightertrading.co and get you one of these candles then after you get done burning it guess what it turns into a bourbon glass and you can drink some of your favorite bourbon out of this cool glass here, man, with the gunfighter trading look, with the gunfighter uh, logo on top of it. Also, they got shirts, they got hats, great shirts and great hats, solid quality at that. Get yourself one. They got the beard bomb and the tattoo bombs as well. So, man, make sure to go to gunfightertrading.co. Visit my sponsor. I'm Hey, I talk about them because I believe in their products and I believe in them because they're good products. That's it. I'm not getting paid by these guys. I just believe in what they're doing and I wish them the most success in what they're doing because they have a wonderful product and I know that you all will enjoy them as well as I do. So go to gunfightertrading.co and when you put in your purchase, don't forget the code PITTS, P-I-T-T-S, for 15% off on your purchase, all right? So ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Thank you all for being here with me on a Tuesday night, a day late, but still, 
just on time. So, hey, this has been Dex with the Iron Pits Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in, and I will see you all on the next one. 